0: And I uh, appreciate that last song about it's in the waiting. And so we're in a series on faith. And so I'll share with you a story that I'm going to get all of the dates wrong. And so you can have my wife clarify this because she's the hard drive of the family. But that's okay. Not the hard driver, the hard drive. My memory's terrible. But I do know this, that my firstborn daughter, uh, our firstborn child, is a daughter, Lily. And she was very determined to try to come as early as as possible which if you haven't known these things that's bad you want you want you really want that 40 hours you want that full time in the oven uh you know you you don't want uh you don't want this this uh this baby to come too early and they do miracles uh with with premature babies but still you want you want that 40 weeks if you can get it so i think around 25 weeks of pregnancy i'm downtown who remembers city center mall yeah, so uh, it's gone, and that's when you know you're old is when the places that you worked or shopped are no longer there, but uh, that's beside the point. And so I'm downtown, I'm with my, uh, with my baby sister, and we're, we're uh, shopping or, or whatever else, and I get, a phone, or I get a page over the intercom. Why would that be? That's because there wasn't a cell phone in my pocket. Uh, this is pre-cell phone days and so uh, or at least where I could afford to carry one around all the time and and uh, and so they actually did this thing like all oh, right know can you please uh, come to the restaurant? yeah okay and so I took them a few times and I go to the desk and and they uh, said uh, you need to get home and um, and so uh, Danielle had, had um, a lot of bleeding and we thought we'd lost the baby and uh, and so we end up with Danielle checked into Grant Hospital forever uh, because uh, Lily kept trying to come early, and so we're, we're praying for this miracle of, of, of a healthy baby girl, right? She's living at Grant Hospital in the maternity ward and without having a baby. I've come to find out that this is pretty normal as they get, try to keep uh, babies from for for coming as late as possible, and and so four weeks go by, and then finally at twenty nine weeks, Lily's born. Wow! And then you have this bubble baby, which she's cute. And, uh, but we had to bubble baby and then we had to wait until Mother's Day before we could hold her. So I think we had a week or so before we could hold her. And then she had to get healthy and finish progressing with her lungs and things at the hospital until we could take her home. So we have, so I'm going to go all the way towards the end of this story and she's finally healthy enough. She's passing her tests. And if you've been in any sort of situation, long-term, hospital stay or whatever, where do you want to go? You just want to go home. And, of course, we're thankful for the care for the baby. We want to take her home as healthy as possible. We don't want it to be risky, even though there were risks that we had to face. But she'd achieved all these milestones, and we were told by the doctor in charge that we were going to get to take her home if all these numbers were right she had to like feed with a bottle anyways i don't want to bore you with all the details but we were targeting to this day of taking her home and we show up to the hospital and cuz at this point we're just come we're both coming back to see her right the doctor in charge is not there and so a doctor is filling in and he's not willing to release Lily to us. Because he's the fill-in, right? He's the substitute teacher. Like, he's, he's not going to put his name on the line for that. And so we are devastated. And so this whole challenge was that she would get through the night with, her, with, with being able to take a bottle from somebody else without throwing off her heart alarms and all of this stuff. I don't want to take you through all the details. And I said, I'll do it. They said the nurses couldn't get her through the bottles without, without tripping these alarms. I said, I'll do it. I stayed for one night on the maternity floor with my own room at Grant Hospital. You find another man that has that under his credentials, and I'll buy you a cheeseburger. They give me my own room. I've got nurses coming and taking care of me. They think this is hilarious. Danielle is not supposed to be on site. This whole thing is about getting Lily through the night. And so I've got me on the maternity floor at Grant Hospital. I've got my little baby girl that I think may be up to, Danielle can give you all these numbers. I'm sure I'm screwing them up. But she's still only like five pounds somewhere in there. Like she's little. I've got me. I've got my girl. I've got my bottles. And we're going to go through the night. God takes us through these moments where we have to wait for him to move. And it's it's in those trials, like this wasn't the only day of trial. Like we had a, it, this was a, I mean if if you've been in a situation like that, it's it's up and down with the health. It's it's it's, it's all it's everything is you have victories and you have setbacks and and then you just want to take your baby home. And we took her home the next day. She made it through the night with me, and and God provided, and and I had this moment with my daughter, and and Lily and I hanging out on the maternity floor at Grant Hospital. That's one of my stories of waiting for God to move and watching him show up in my moment of need. We're in week two of a series called All or Nothing. She's coming in for Christmas, by the way, with my son-in-law and my, more importantly, the grandson, and... uh, I've noticed I call her more nowadays, and it's really just to see the grandson, and and I feel a little bit bad about that, but not really bad about it, and so they'll all be in for Christmas, we're going to have him dedicated here on Christmas Eve, it's going to be fantastic, but we're in week two of this series called All or Nothing, and we're looking at the faith of Elijah, and we've been working on this, kind of a a tandem, a a backup series to, to the one we just finished, where we're learning that God intended for us to be a people of faith he intends for us to live in a relationship with him where we are dependent upon him to see things come to pass and that if there's anything I can do just under my own strength it's not nearly scratching the surface of what he's called my life to look like he wants things to happen in my life that in your life that only he can take the credit for and so when I look at my little girl who's now almost 21 and has her own little fat, healthy baby boy, and I, I think she's, she's been a, a miracle that I can look at my entire life of something that I can point to and say that only God can do, right? And so last week we started, I, I, I said we were all mogs and wogs. You guys remember that? M-O-G-W-O-G, man of God, woman of God. And the challenge was in week one is to begin to see ourselves. To look in the mirror and say, man of God, woman of God. That's how God the Father sees us. He expects us to walk in that authority. He expects us to walk in that confidence. He expects us to walk in that dependence to Him. And if we're His, that means we obey Him. So last week we moved through uh, flexing our faith muscles. I can't say that very fast. Flexing our faith muscles, okay? So we have obedience and dependence. Is, is what He calls us to in this life. Today, I've got a title for you. My God is bigger than your God. My God is bigger than your God. So let's go to 1 Kings 18, if you can with me. We're going to hang out there. Today's big thought is this. False gods promise what only the true God provides. False gods promise. What only the true gods provide. So go to your e-bible, digi-bible, real Bible, whatever you want to. Or We'll have some of this on the screen, I hope. But we're going to hang out in First Kings. And we're, our story today is going to be in 18, chapter 18, but I want to catch you up. So we met Elijah last week, and he comes out of the woodwork. We're introduced by him walking up to the king of the northern kingdom of the Hebrew people. And he says this. He says, there will be no dew or rain until I give the Word. And by the way, it's going to be a while. And so then we have this three-year period, and during this time, we're given another couple snapshots into what's going on with Elijah. We said that he went and hung out by a brook until, that, until it dried up. And, and he had pizza delivery guys coming, right? He had ravens coming, it says, bringing him food every day and so uber eats is dropping in chunks of meat now it was pre-chewed by a bird i don't know if that would be good or not um no it just says that ravens brought him meat every day but then it said that the lord asked him to told him to go to stay with a widow in a town called zarephath as soon as that brook dried out and we finished with that little story last week that how challenging would that be to have a need, and to walk up to basically the neediest person that you come across and ask them to help you. And last week's story just simply showed us one of the greatest truths of the whole Bible is that if we will put God first, He takes care of everything else. And Jesus would sum that up in these great words of seek first the kingdom of God and all these things would be added unto you. So here we are. That's that's getting that's uh, that's Elijah's up to up to date uh, progress report right there. And now we have Ahab encounter part two. Elijah goes and finds Ahab, and let's go to 1 Kings 18:17. Is this okay? You guys sleeping on me? If your neighbor's sleeping, give him a good poke right now. Pay attention. Verse 17, when Ahab saw him, he exclaimed, so is it really you, you troublemaker of Israel? I have made no trouble for Israel, Elijah replied. You and your family are the troublemakers, for you have refused to obey the commands of the Lord and have worshipped the images of Baal and Instead, we're going to stop as we move through this story and, and, and break this down. Ahab is calling Elijah the troublemaker. Why? What's going on in the country? Drought. Who's Ahab blaming for the drought? Elijah, because Elijah said there's not going to be any more rain until I tell it, until I ask God for it to reign again. And so Ahab is looking at this so narrow-mindedly, without seeing his own blame in the equation, he is blaming Elijah for what's happening. And it's even believed that his wife, who is this evil woman named Jezebel, we love her name, just has a great evil sound to it, that she blamed God for the lack of rain, and she took it out on the followers by personally making it her mission to kill all of the priests of the Lord. And it references right before this that there was somebody that, would, that hid a hundred of the priests, the prophets, in caves, split them up in groups of 50, and was sneaking them food and water just to keep them alive because... Jezebel had a death warrant out for every prophet of God. How blind are we sometimes and it's easier for us to see the blindness of other people when we see the folly in their life, when we see the drama that they're a part of and stirring up and keeping uh, going in their life, and yet these people, and we at, the, at, at times as well, we look to heaven and we say, you troublemaker, God. You have made my life a mess. Right? And Elijah says, "Um." <clears throat> Let me me just clarify this for you. Your family has made trouble for Israel. You are reaping the consequences for what you have done. Let's move on. Uh, How long will you waver? So we go to 1 Kings 18, 19-21. We're going to read through this story. It's one of my very favorites in the whole Bible. It says, Now summon Israel to join me at Mount Carmel. Not the hospital along with the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who are supported by Jezebel. So Ahab summoned all the people of Israel and the prophets to Mount Carmel. Then Elijah stood in front of them and said, How much longer will you waver, hobbling between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, then follow him. But the people were completely silent." How long will you waver? I think this is a question of the Lord for every person until they come to faith and trust Him. Because I believe people at the core have been designed to respond to their Creator. And I believe that people largely want to believe. And then even you and me in this room that that have set our, our lives to follow Jesus and have declared our, our, ourselves and our families to be a Christian family, that, that we want to follow the ways of the Lord, yet how much of our life is full of these confusing messages if somebody was to look inside from the outside and say, who are they really following? How long will you waver? Is the question. And it said the people were silent. They knew their past. They knew where their roots went down to was a faith that went all the way back to Abraham as as far as locking in to God and believing Him for their future, for their life, for their livelihood, for the protection and, and providence of their families. And yet they looked at their lives currently and they're in this big mishmash of worship of all these different idols and gods and taking these traditions and those traditions and mixing up with the ones that they liked from their past. And they have this big kind of mess of faith. And Elijah says, how long will you waver? And they just stay silent. The challenge. First Kings eighteen twenty-two 22-24, he says this, Then Elijah said to them, I am the only prophet of the Lord who is left, but Baal has 450 prophets. Now bring two bulls. The prophets of Baal may choose whichever one they wish and cut it into pieces and lay it on the wood of their altar, but without setting fire to it. I will prepare the other bull and lay it on the wood, on the altar, but not set fire to it. Then call on the name of your God, and I will call on the name of the Lord. The God who answers by setting fire to the wood, is the true God, and all the people agreed. The challenge. This story stuck out to me probably next to David and Goliath as as, as far as just my favorite story in the Bible. Because it shows a man by himself completely dependent on the Word and the will and the actions of God. And I would much rather have a group of people around me that love me and believe the same way I do. And thankfully, that's part of why we come to church on Sundays and we do home groups and and we do outreaches like this coming Wednesday night with each other. We've got some men's stuff coming up. There's a reason why we do that. It builds us up and it's, it's great to live faith together. I believe we're supposed to. But... There are moments in each and every one of our lives where it will be me on a mountain by myself and God better show up. That's the kind of faith I want to have. That's the kind of God I want to believe in. It's it's the kind of life that I want to live where I know that no matter what, God's got me right the challenge so this challenge begins and and he lets them go first because he's a nice guy verse 26 he says this he said go go for it and they said since so they prepared one of the bulls verse 26 and placed it on the altar then they called on the name of Baal from morning until noontime shouting O Baal answer us but there was no reply of any kind Then they danced hobbling around the altar they had made. About noontime, Elijah began mocking them. You'll have to shout louder, he scoffed, for surely he is a god. Perhaps he is daydreaming or is relieving himself. It's in the Bible. Elijah just said your your god's in the bathroom. You probably better wait a minute or, or yell louder. It's in here, people. Or maybe he's away on a trip or maybe he's asleep and needs to be awakened let me tell you something about our god he's not away on a trip there's some theories just about you know just how the earth was created and many people don't believe in god whatsoever and it leaves them with a pretty pathetic uh, choice left in my opinion but then even those that consider a god consider it to be like this watchmaker that would create everything and then just kind of set this thing on its course and then it's just going to kind of go through the motions until it runs out so kind of like i'm going to make this wind it up set it loose and whatever happens happens and and put my feet up on the, on the ottoman and sit back and play with the stars or something. A checked out God. Our God is not asleep. Our God is not away on a trip. He's not in the bathroom. He's here. And He hears every cry He sees every tear. He celebrates with us. He sees every life. He's present. Elijah continues. He says, shout louder. But get this, go to 18, verse 28. I know this is a little bit different way to preach to go through just a verse at a time like this, but the story just tells itself. It says, so they shouted louder and following their normal custom, get that word, normal. They shouted louder and following their normal custom, they cut themselves with knives and swords until the blood gushed out. They raved all afternoon until the time of the evening sacrifice, but still there was no sound, no reply, no response. It was their normal custom to throw themselves at the altar, to dance around like idiots, and to cut themselves until their blood gushed as a provocation to get the Lord, to get their God to move. When you put your attention which is another way of saying worship. When you worship a false god, now I don't think any of you have a little carved idol in a closet in your home. Anybody? Because you're weird if you do. Um, that's not a part of our society where people just have, you know, okay, this is, this is our little guy over here and, and, and we're going to, you know, some cultures still do around the world. I've always wanted to say at certain restaurants, I, I love Chinese food, but I'll see the little statue with fruit setting out. I always want to ask the guy at the counter, "Has has he ever taken a bite?" Like, uh, I'm not there to be rude. I'm there to buy my kung pao chicken. But um, and that's not going to minister the love of Jesus. But the little the little gold god has never taken a bite of the orange. Okay. And so that's not what we do as far as modern Americans. We don't have this carved image, but yet we fill our lives with all of these things that we chase and that we sacrifice for, and it becomes the normal custom to expend our lives and our blood and our guts for in some sort of effort that it would be manifestation into something that would meet our needs. And show up and take care of us. And so, what have you given yourself for? This is normal custom, and I believe it's still today. And so this this goes directly against the Word of God that says that Jesus laid His life down for us on the cross. That one man would die for the sin of all. And so I don't have to cut myself to release the power and the love of God. The Bible says that He loves me in spite of my sin, but He loves me for me. And that He made the sacrifice that I couldn't make. Because even if I offer myself, I am an impure, I am a sinful person. Believe it or not. You can ask my mom or my wife if you don't think so. It doesn't do me any good to sacrifice myself. That is something that is a normal custom to false gods. The opposite is true for the living God. He says, come to me through my son that I loved you so much that I would lay his life down so that you could walk across that bridge to have a relationship with me. And then the Bible says that I will put on his righteousness as like a coat. That some of y'all are wearing in here because you're still cold. But I get to put on the righteousness of Christ that I could never give enough for, or do enough for, or pay enough for, or sacrifice enough for. The Bible simply says that that from Abraham all the way through us today as, as Christians, that we are, that faith is credited to us because that righteousness is credited to us because of our faith. And that we believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that He loved us so much that He would bear our sins that we can have a relationship with the Father. That really stuck out to me about the blood gushing. And, and, and I can just picture how sad God would be looking down on His creation doing that to themselves to try to get to the attention of a God that doesn't answer. Let's go on to verse 31. So right after that it says, They raved all afternoon until the time of the evening sacrifice, but still there was no sound, no reply, no response. Then Elijah called to the people, Come over here. They all crowded around him as he repaired the altar of the Lord that had been torn down. They had worshipped God there before, but they had forgotten him. It says that he took 12 stones, one to represent each of the tribes of Israel, and he used the stones to rebuild the altar in the name of the Lord. I want to stop there again. 12 stones. I gave you guys a little bit of the history background last week, but I want to recap it again so you understand the importance of this. Ahab was the king of the northern kingdom. That's 10 of the 12 original tribes, okay? And so Israel, um, the the quickest way I can explain it, and it's still confusing, you might have to to do a little Googling for yourself. Israel was first a man, a man named Jacob that God changed his name. He said, you're going to have sons, and those are going to be the 12 tribes of Israel, okay? Those 12 tribes were united as they took over the promised land, and then they were united under King David, and then they were united under King Solomon, his son. We usually know those two names, those big names. After Solomon, the kingdom split. Civil war, different people united with different leaders. Two stayed together below. They were called Judah. They still had the city of Jerusalem. Stay with me. I I want you to get this. Don't fall asleep on me. Ten of the tribes separated and went north, but they stole the name Israel, which makes it even more confusing. Elijah looks down and it says that he rebuilds the altar of the Lord. Not builds the altar of the Lord, rebuilds. In other words, it was there before and that is a part of their past. It's a part of their roots. And then what does he rebuild the altar with? He rebuilds the altar with how many stones? Say it again. Do you see what he's doing? He is saying, this is who you are. This is where you've come from and this is how God sees you. This is the family that you belong to. Not these ten rogue nations that have this mishmash, weird religion that takes part of the, the things you like from your past and mixes them with all these other things around you. No, no, no. We're going back to where you came from. And by the way, he also sees you as one people. And so it's us that makes the separations the, the, the state lines, the nation lines, the, the, the racial lines. That's, those are human things. God says, 12 stones, and so here we are. You ready for this? 1 Kings 18.32. He says, then he dug a trench around the altar large enough to hold about three gallons he piled wood on the altar cut the bull into pieces and laid the pieces on the wood then he said fill four large jars with water and pour the water over the offering and the wood after they had done this he said do the same thing again and when they were finished he said now do it a third time and they did as he said and the water ran around the altar and even filled the trench Have you ever been to, uh, seen an illusionist or, or a magician, and what do they go to all the trouble with when they set up an act or, a, or an illusion? Nothing up my sleeve, right? So they, they go to this whole elaborate thing, which there really is an illusion happening, but they do all of this so that they set this thing up in front of you that there's no way something tricky could happen, which we all know because... Magic's, is that okay if I say magic's not real? I didn't want to spoil it for anybody. Um, But these guys are illusionists. So they set this thing up, and there's usually like these elaborate ways of kind of like nothing up my sleeve. Well, Elijah is making sure that everybody there that is watching, this goes back to the faith thing, that only God can take credit for what's about to happen. Soak it in water. Soak it in water again. It says in gasoline, soak it in water again. Verse 36. I love this because it opens up, it says, at the usual time for the offering. All of this other stuff had happened, and then right on time, in other words, the time that if the, when the original altar was there, that they would have done the evening sacrifice right on time at the usual time for the offering the evening for offering the evening sacrifice Elijah the prophet walked up to the altar and prayed O Lord God of Abraham Isaac and Jacob prove today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant prove that I've done all of this at your command O Lord answer me answer me so these people will know that you O Lord are God and that You have brought them back to Yourself. This makes me think of just the prayers that I pray. I think it's great to tell God what I need and what's going on, and He, he really wants that dialogue with me. But what He's looking for in a people of faith is people that will live their lives knowing that they're on display for other people that are watching. And I don't think we necessarily are excited about that. I, I, think, um, I think we want to be able to kind of make our mistakes and, and make our progress and kind of just do it without anybody really paying, uh, paying any attention. But the Bible teaches us another truth, and that is that our lives are communal that our lives are on display for others and that he uses his followers' lives to minister to the other lives around them. And so if I will be transparent with my failures and how God is working in my life, it actually gives other people hope. And people that haven't trusted God might actually consider it because they see what my life is without and with the presence of God in it and so elijah makes this prayer he says answer me so that these people will know when was the last time you prayed for something in your life not just because you need it but so that the people around you will know who god is i think it's a wonderful way to look at our lives and, God, and and at how God moves through them and why He chooses different ways and times to move through them. He wants our story to affect other people. Verse 39. Actually, 38. Immediately the fire of the Lord flashed down from heaven and burned up the young bull, the wood, the stones, and the dust. It even licked up all the water in the trench. And when the people saw it, they fell down on the ground and cried, The Lord, He is God. Yes, the Lord is God. My God is bigger than your God. When God has the stage, and when we yield our lives to Him and we participate, what a fun thing to be a part of. I would so much rather be an extra in the movie that God is is rolling out throughout history than to try to force my own little screenplay and stay the main character. Right? And so sure, Elijah was tapped on the shoulder to do this thing. But he's only introduced two chapters before this. And it just says Elijah the Tishbite shows up and tells Ahab it's not going to rain. We get these couple chapters on him, he, he mentors this guy named Elisha, and then he's, he's, he's off. We, we just get this little peek into this man's life, and yet we see these great moments of faith, and I want to live my life like that, that, that God can just send me over here, and that I'll say whatever he wants me to say, that I'll go here and I'll do whatever he wants me to do, and then I trust him for the results it's easy to get caught up in, in, in all kinds of crazy stuff when, when you're living your life. And even planting a church, even something that, that looks a lot like I'm doing what God wants me to do. But even in the midst of that, I can get caught up in the results and start to take responsibility for them. I can get caught up in the planning of things and forget to go to the Lord for things. But if my heart will stay soft, if I will say, God, if you show up the people around here are going to see that You're real and we're going to love on them and lead them into relationship with You. If I live my life that way, if I live my life trusting Him for the results and I'm just the obedient vessel carrying the Word to wherever He sends me to carry it or to preach it to whoever He gives me the opportunity to preach it, then I've done, I've done my part. But I pray that God will answer with fire so that people will know that He is God. Some questions for us today as, we, as we're closing. What are the false gods competing for your heart? I give you that history because it's important to see the context that these people they still thought they were worshiping God. I think that's the saddest of all. I pray for atheists. I pray for people that are locked into a false religion. But how sad that there are people out there that think that they are worshiping the true God and and yet they've, they've really settled for this mess of things. And I think that's how our lives can be. That we can... We can say that we're a devoted believer, that we're a Christian family, but if we really stand back and look at our lives, what are we giving ourselves to? What are we chasing? Who are we and what are we really worshiping? What are the false gods competing for your heart? And here's the trap. Question number two. What are these false gods promising that only God can provide? So this is when... We, we get into trouble and we, we're, we take our attention, our worship away from the true God is when we look to something else for our validation, when we look to something else for our provision, when we look to something else for a solution to something, when our trust goes to something else other than God to meet one of our needs, we are looking to a false God to provide something that only God can provide. And we've all done it, and we'll all trip into this on occasion. And so it's important that we stand back and look and say, What are we looking? What am I trusting something else for that I should be trusting God for? Question number three What do you need to do to quit wavering between false gods and the one true God? Here's some help with the answer to that question i finish with these last two verses of this story. It says in, in verse 39, it says that the people said, the Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. The first thing to do, and it's something that we don't just do the day we accept salvation, the, gift from, the free gift from heaven. If you haven't learned by now, this walk called Christianity, this, this, this life of faith, is about choosing God over and over and over again. It's waking up every morning and saying, God, I choose You today. I choose to depend on You today. Just as a marriage will go stale if those same two people do not stop promoting and, and, de- and proclaiming their love for each other. You, you basically kind of re-up all the time. You're, you're constantly giving yourself to the other person if you want it to be great. And without a regular reminder of, of how you feel about that person and how they feel about you, what happens? You get static in the communication. You get more misunderstandings. You get more mistrust. You, you start to doubt the other person's intention towards you. And a relationship with God is much the same, but, but even more important, that, that on a regular basis, I look to heaven and I say, my life, my life is yours. I'm dependent upon you for my very breath, for everything I need. Father God, forgive me for every moment that I would ever think that I'm the one taking care of my wife and kids. God, You're you're using me to provide for them, and I'm thankful for it. I'm thankful for the strength You've given me. thankful for the work You've given me. I'm thankful for the provision You've given me. God, don't let me take my eyes off of You. Don't let me misunderstand where my help comes from. Right? Choose. Over and over again. Part 2, 1 Kings 18.40, Elijah does not miss the opportunity. As soon as the people start declaring he is the Lord, Elijah yells, seize the prophets of Baal. And folks, the Bible can get downright nasty at times. It says that they took those 450 prophets of Baal down into the valley right below them and they killed every single one of them. Well, that's not nice. My Jesus is nice really guess how he feels about the evil in your heart yes he loves you yes he's your friend yes he's the savior yes he's the son of god but do not ever mistake our god for being anything less than purely holy and when that light bulb comes on on that mountaintop and, and in our lives today that as soon as we recognize on, what something else, on how something else has moved in on our hearts, would we be so vicious to the things that encroach our dependence on the living God? What we usually do is we just kind of I'm just going gonna, gonna to just pack that up for now. But I'm going to keep it on a shelf for later. And if we do that, instead of this holistic response of God, I'm Yours, and I'm going to annihilate the things that are taking my heart away from You, then we end up like that people of Israel in the first place, wavering, lost between God's choose and seize that's how we move our hearts away from false gods and back to the one who can really provide what we're looking for can we pray this morning as the worship team comes forward we also have some uh, couples up here that some teams that are willing to pray with you and maybe something through throughout this message this morning just pro prompted something that you want to talk to God about and get some people to pray with you, that'd be great. Maybe something else entirely is going on in your life today. Maybe a doctor's report. Maybe something's going on with one of your kids. Maybe you just want to pray for direction. Those are all great reasons, and there's more to come up and ask for people to pray with you. The smart people ask for prayer. But with our heads bowed this morning, a couple questions. Has God shown you something that He's in competition with for your heart? Has He shown you something? It could be something that's good. It could be a job. It could be, it, it could be your family in a certain way. We've, we, we can get our priorities out of whack just by taking something good and putting it ahead of God. Has he shown you something that's in competition for your heart? How long will you waver? Is today your day to choose the living God instead of the one you've been looking to? If you're ready to make that change, if God has shown you something and you want to choose God and and seize whatever else has competed for for your attention. If that's you this morning, would you raise your hand? I want to pray with you. I see that hand. God cares about us. He wants our hearts to be whole and healthy. He wants us to look to Him and to Him alone for our needs to be met. Maybe you've never chosen jesus to be your savior to be your leader we said last week that it goes back to those two things dependence and obedience will you depend on him for righteousness and depend on him for eternal life but will you also choose to obey him and follow him If you're ready to cross the line of faith and make that decision this morning, would you raise your hand? I want to pray with you. We make this opportunity every every Sunday. It's the most important thing we do. Father God, I thank you for my brothers and sisters in this room. God, I thank you that you see us in our struggles, God. You are not asleep. You are not away. You're not on vacation. You are not absent, God. You're here. Father God, You see the things competing for our hearts. And Father God, You patiently cry out. How long will You waver? So Father God, we choose You again today. And we're going to choose You again tomorrow and the next day. Heal our hearts, Lord. Take the things that have distracted us and and annihilate them, God, whatever that looks like. Help us to walk away, run away. Shut the door on things, God. We thank you, Jesus. Let's stand in worship as we close this morning.